You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone, and welcome to All Creatures Podcast. Today, we will be talking about one of the most ancient, fascinating, and endangered mammals on the planet, the Fusa from Madagascar, and we'll be learning all about how zoos are helping to conserve this unique and special creature. Brittany Beeler will be joining me today, and she is a carnivore and pinniped zookeeper from Blank Park Zoo in Iowa in the U.S. And Brittany is the FASA SSP program leader and stud bookkeeper, and SSP means Species Survival Plan, and she'll be talking about that today. And Brittany is also the Kinkajou Stud Book Education Advisor. As a keeper in my past life, I am so impressed with Brittany's work and commitment to conserving the FASA and Kinkajous through zoo-supported stud books and species survival plans. So welcome, Brittany. Thank you for being here today and sharing your inspirational work and helping get us all excited about all things FASA. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. And you're definitely um, making me blush a little bit. <laughs> hey, girl, you got a t- you got some titles. That's I mean, that is trust me that from a zookeeper's point of view, those are impressive titles. You do a lot. And I'm so I'm just really happy that you'll take time out of your busy schedule to talk to us today about all these passion projects besides obviously your zookeeping day job, but then also these these passion projects that help push uh, animal conservation forward within zoos. And so I just, I'm really impressed by all your titles and I, I can't wait to dive into them further. But before we do, you have to settle a debate between Chris and I, and we're wondering, is it pronounced FASA or FUSA? Yeah, so we get that question a lot. Neither way is incorrect. It just more depends on where you live. So uh, most European countries are pronouncing it FASA, so they only really put in one S occasionally, um, or the if you were going to sound it out phonetically, it would be definitely FASA. Um, if you're going with the Madagascar pronunciation and then kind of what we've adapted to the Madagascar movie, you'll go with FUSA. And one of the reasons that we do say FUSA is so that we can connect people to that because a lot of people don't know what they are. So as long as we can connect them with that name to the movie as well, it helps us build that connection with people um, and then allows them to kind of understand what we're talking about. But either way is not incorrect, but mostly in the U.S. you'll hear uh, FUSA more than FASA. 
Okay, FUSA. All right, because I I naturally tend to lean more towards FASA, mm-hmm. but I I am a I'm a lifelong learner, and so I appreciate your your wonderfully uh, descriptive definition and FUSA for today for sure. <laughs> and so now, Brittany, as we uh, dive into this interview, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Uh, were you always an animal lover? Or did you always want to be a zookeeper? And was there like an aha moment that solidified your love of all things animals? Yeah. So uh, my zookeeper origin story, as I call it, um, (laughs) actually, I got my bachelor's and I'm from Ohio originally. So I went to Ohio Wesleyan University and received my bachelor's in zoology. I also received a master's at Miami University through the advanced inquiry program. That's the dragonfly program. It's kind of a hybrid where you can work and also do school, uh, which is really helpful when you're a zookeeper because you don't get a lot of time off. (laughs) Once I graduated college, I kind of didn't know what I wanted to do. I just wanted to do something animal related. So um, I had worked in guest services at the Columbus Zoo and Aquarium, which is a great zoo. If you guys have never been, definitely go check it out. It's amazing. My roommate at the time was interning there and I was like, that might be something fun to try. So I decided to try that while I was working full time at Weirdly enough, an artificial insemination lab for bulls. <laughs> so definitely want to. That is not you. weird. That is right up my alley. And that's actually <laughs> kind of what I did with horses after I left zookeeping. So yeah. There you go. Ones. Yeah. I um, tried that. Wanted to be outside more. Wasn't as into the lab work. Um, but yeah, I went for my first day. Just did dishes. Typical intern stuff. And one of the keepers. Love it. Yes. <laughs> always that hard work there. One of the keepers mm-hmm. um, asked if we wanted to medicate Ginger, a geriatric grizzly bear. And I was like, of course, that sounds amazing. So um, fed her Cosequin and yogurt on a spoon and I was hooked. And I was like, she is my origin story. <laughs> Seven years later, here we are still zookeeping. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you, Ginger. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yes, I love the zookeeper origin story. And I also want to give a shout out to your master's program. uh, uh, What was the name of it again? Um, It's the Project Dragonfly at um, Miami University. They link through zoos. So I'll do a little plug for that just because it was an awesome program. They have the advanced inquiry program, which is more of a local working through your community to help with conservation type efforts or education. And then um, they also have a global expeditions course where you do more of traveling and doing more global kind of looks at that. So it was a affordable master's. I really enjoyed it. Plus it was doable with my work schedule, which was super nice. (laughs) Well, yeah, and I, I want to give it a big plug, too, because uh, one of my husband's colleagues just finished it while she's full-time working with, with a family, and it took her, of course, a little bit longer, but, I mean, it's an awesome program. She got to travel to Thailand to do some of her uh, research for the uh, for her master's, and, uh, yeah, it's just, an, I've heard really good things about the program, and mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm glad that we're giving it a little bit of plug day for... Right? <laughs> I'm glad we're giving a shout-out today for our listeners, for sure, mm-hmm. so... Ah, and now fast forward to the Blank Park Zoo in Iowa. Uh, Shout out to the Midwest as well. I'm from Michigan. So my first zookeeping, first and only zookeeping job was uh, in Chicago at Lincoln Park Zoo. I got to love the winters there. You know, you're a hardcore zooey uh, or zoo lover when you're willing to work with animals in the wintertime. (laughs) 
<laughs> through the snow and I had to like shovel snow and carry a blowtorch to open some locks. I'm not even oh, kidding. Oh yeah, I've been there. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I was wondering if you could share with our listeners, Brittany, what your role is at the Blank Park Zoo and what are some of your favorite animals to care for and why? Yeah. So um, I also started my zookeeping career in the Midwest. I was actually in Duluth, Minnesota to start. So blowtorches and snow were very common up there. <laughs> snow, um, and, and I wore, I would wear a snowmobile suit too every day. Like that yeah, was my, I wear that like was the big car outfit. hearts. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I, it's, it's a testament to your love and passion for the job for sure. Um, but yeah, so currently I work at Blank Park Zoo. This is my seventh year of zookeeping. So I've moved around a little bit first at the in Duluth it was the Lake Superior Zoo is where I started my full-time career and then I went out to Idaho Falls Idaho and then we came back to the Midwest my husband and I are both from here so we definitely love it a little bit more they always say Midwest is best and I have to agree Um, but um, yeah so I work currently as a carnivore and pinniped keeper so pinniped is fin-footed so that is with sea lions and seals and then the carnivore side we have lions and tigers We also have um, penguins under us and then uh, lemurs and gibbons. So it doesn't completely make sense with our titles, but we uh, love the variety of it for sure. I do love working carnivores, especially small ones. Fusa have definitely been a interesting change to that. We um, had them at my previous facility, but not at my current one. So I've been missing out on my, my Fusa time, but I'm lucky enough that we're building a community with this. So I get a lot of extra pictures and stuff from other people. But my favorite species is probably lemurs to work with, which is really kind of interesting because I represent their predator in the SSP. So (laughs) sort of interesting (laughs) dichotomy there. (laughs) You're rooting for the the underdogs. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're rooting for the whole thing. The whole ecosystem I just love. So... Mm -hmm. Um, I just love the diversity of the species, how there's over a hundred different um, species within the Prosimians. So I just love all of, they're basically like a time capsule of evolution and you can see it with each species depending on their niche in the, or their niche in the wild. So it's extremely interesting to learn about them and talk about them with people, but then um, also to throw in my little FUSA stuff as well if I'm talking about lemurs. So I get to kind of dip into both, but it's, it's hard to pick a favorite because every zoo I've had a different favorite to work with and different individuals, but probably my hands down favorite have been lemurs. Well, and I, I must say that what is your favorite species to work with is a is an unfair question to a zookeeper. I agree. I, it's not one of my favorite questions because I'm like, well, there's, there's, you know, I have my top three, but it depends and they all have their different little things. So, but of course I'd pick zebras if I, yeah, I had to. And just for our listeners out there, uh, All Creatures Podcast did cover the behavior and physiology and conservation of red rough lemurs uh, in episode 128. And we also covered FUSAs. And episode 182 called Fusa Fun. And so those are great precursors probably to this podcast to help get you excited about a lot of the behavior and physiological facts and conservation status. But Brittany, we have not covered kinkajous. And so I want to dive into all things Fusa. But really quickly, can you give me your elevator pitch on why Chris and I should cover kinkajous on our podcast soon? 
Yes, so I took over as the education advisor for the Kinkachu SSP at the time. Um, It was 2018, so it was kind of earlier in my career, and I just really always wanted to be involved in animal programs and thought they were really cool and kind of your front line to conservation. So um, Kinkachus are also known as honey bears. They are a small South American technically carnivore, but most of the time they are more omnivores where they're eating a lot more fruit. Uh, They do have a sweet tooth, which the honey bear gets its name that way. They have a 13 centimeter long tongue that they actually use to get into flowers. So they are a very important pollinator. So that's one of my favorite fun facts is that not all pollinators are bugs. They do Black and white lemurs are also pollinators, but kinkachus are, they reach down to get the pollen, they get the pollen on their face, and then they go to the next flower. So they're actually really important pollinators for South America. The other thing that is really cool, and I'll plug this because there's been a lot of work on this as well, is we have been developing an animal ambassador guideline for kinkachus so that when they are used as animal ambassadors, which they're doing like shows and presentations and things like that, we are actually creating guidelines to allow people to have those at their zoos and have more resources on that. So that's been kind of a two-year project that we've been working on that is almost done. Luckily, it has been a labor of love for sure. But um, yeah, so they're an awesome species to have as ambassadors, awesome species just to represent. And during your pollinator weeks, they are a great kind of animal that people don't expect. They can also live as multi-species. We had ours with a sloth. So that was kind of fun because you got like the wild oh, yeah. high energy versus mm-hmm. a sloth. <laughs> so um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was a dichotomy for sure. But my elevator pitch is always that they are very... Um, interesting. They also give you a lot of good messaging for the pet trade. Um, if you remember back in the day, Paris Hilton owned a kinkachu and that was her exotic pet of choice. So um, we highlight a lot on like the social media aspects of how the pet trade is damaging to these animals and things like that. So they they offer a lot of conservation messages that you probably wouldn't expect with just such a small animal that a lot of people have never heard of. So they're very cute too. So definitely a appealing animal that way, but they're just a really interesting species, prehensile tail. Um, they're, yeah, they're just really cool. I mean, I can I can go on and on about so many different animals as to why I just love them, but they're a really cool animal that you don't expect has so many cool aspects to it. And it's just a very interesting animal that a lot of people have never heard of that they might recognize if they ever saw Paris Hilton in that era. <laughs> Yeah. Well, Brittany, your elevator pitch sold me. Chris, if you're listening, we'll put it on the books for the next couple of months because that's, <laughs> I'm definitely, definitely curious now because I, I, I don't know a lot about them. I, I never worked with them. So, uh, so yes. So great job on that. But switching gears back to the FUSAs, can you give our listeners a little bit of background on what they are, what they look like? But more importantly, uh, when you used to work with them at your previous zoo, what was it like to care for them? Or do you have a favorite like FUSA interaction story to share with the listeners? Yeah, so FUSA are basically the primary carnivore on the island of Madagascar. They have a kind of interesting body type. They kind of look like a mix between like a cat and a weasel and some other like a little bear kind of, but they're actually part of the civet family. So similar to like... um, kind of like mongoose, you have like genets, things like that. They do, they are the only animal inside their genus. So 
Um, like you mentioned before, they are a prehistoric animal, but they also have an, a lot of amazing adaptations for their main food source, which is lemurs. So lemurs live in trees predominantly, and they're pretty fast, can maneuver pretty well. These animals are amazingly adapted to be able to hunt lemurs, which allows them to also be an amazing animal to have in captivity because they are so active, so agile, so investigative. They're basically the size of a house cat with the personality of a lion. They have no natural predators, so they do not... They're not bothered by most things. They're very um, interested in enrichment. They're very food driven. They're very intelligent. You can do a lot of training with them that you can do on big cats. So voluntary blood draws, x-rays, you can do voluntary nail trims, you can do eye drops, you can, these animals are extremely intelligent, extremely food motivated. So they allow keepers and caregivers of these animals to have these amazing experiences with a animal that's in a smaller package. So I always am super interested in having keepers kind of experience them because every keeper that I've met that has worked with them is obsessed with them. <laughs> so um, they're just a that animal that steals your heart when you never expect them to. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, I obviously didn't work with them. Not a ton of zoos have them. If you mm-hmm. uh, am, I, am I correct in saying that? Yeah. So um, in the AZA, which is the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, we have 20 zoos that represent them currently. And in that population, we actually have... Um, we have 37 individuals. So it's a very small population. I will do a shout out because they did do a press release. We did have three pups this year at Abilene <gasps> Zoo. So uh, the first time in five years. So we're very excited. We're very proud of them there and the hard work that they put into breeding. It's their first go at breeding. So we're super excited about that. Um, and then in a mix of AZA and non-AZA zoos, we have uh, 28 facilities with 51 individuals. So we do have some represented outside of AZA as well. But yeah, it's a smaller number compared to a lot of other um species that people know more about, I would say. So a lot of people don't even know what a FUSA is, so and let alone have seen one. So we are definitely on the lower end, but we do have good representation and very uh, reliable facilities that are very interested in continuing representation. So we're very happy about that, but always would like to boost our numbers, which is one of the reasons why we're talking today. <laughs> yes. And we are going to jump into all things TAG and SSP and mm-hmm. FUSA related. But really quick, I do want to give a big shout out to Blank Park Zoo, where you currently work. And I was hoping you could just touch a little bit on Blank Park Zoo's background and how their education slash conservation role has grown over the years. Yeah, so we are a 49 acre area um, in Des Moines, Iowa. So it is the only AZA zoo that is in Iowa. So it's a great representation for the area there. It is the only place where you're going to see a lot of really awesome exotic animals such as sea lions, seals. We have black rhinos, we have zebras, we have um, red pandas, snow macaques, a lot of different variety as well as a really in 
kind of engaging discovery area too that has a lot of tropical species. Um, we were established in 1963, so we are relatively newer compared to some of the really old zoos that are in the U.S., but the mission of our zoo is actually to inspire an appreciation of the natural world through conservation, education, research, and recreation. So a um, kind of all-encompassing message. The um, growth of, I would say the growth of Blank Park Zoo has been really geared toward obviously highlighting the species that we are representing as ambassadors, but also doing a lot more um, in-person kind of local work where we're working more with the Des Moines area. We do a really, um, a really successful volunteer effort called Upcycle that we do in terms of removing invasive species from areas of recreation and around the zoo. And then we can use that as browse for our animals, depending on what it is. So um, that's a super fun thing that we do. And that one's been a big community effort that we really enjoy. And it gives us a lot of um, extra kind of fun food for our animals. Definitely not required to feed our animals, but it's always fun if they can get a little extra stuff. So we are working more with our community on a lot of fronts and trying to work locally, but then also supporting those global efforts as well. Awesome. Yes. I know the blank park zoo is really progressive and I always love going to conferences and hearing about what you guys are doing there. So keep up the great work. And obviously they have wonderful keepers like yourself working there. So that's always, (laughs) always a bonus. And now talking about FUSA's, we have to highlight that they are definitely endangered in the wild in Madagascar. Mm-hmm. And I know that you fell in love with them by being able to interact with them on a very intimate level as a keeper and seeing how trainable and intelligent they are. And uh, I was wondering if you could talk about what their ecosystem role is in Madagascar and why why people should just, why they should care about FUSAs uh, not becoming extinct in Madagascar and also what are some of the what are some of the threats and why are they why are they endangered in the wild yeah so according to the IUCN they are listed as vulnerable and I would take oh okay well that's good yes Um, okay oh darn oh I was like yes Um, and the reason that I say that is because the estimated amount of individuals is about 2600 to 8800 so that is a huge range which just tells me that they have absolutely no idea how many individuals are out there and they're just kind of shooting wildly. So even though they're at that vulnerable status, they are so elusive that we actually don't know how many are out there. So um, that seems like a huge number, but that wide range just shows you how interesting these animals are at hiding, how their territories are very um, secluded, how they're very solitary. So I, I too do totally believe that they're in the vulnerable range, but it's really hard with those numbers to guess, you know, where they're, they are in decline, but at what point we don't really 100% know. So they do a lot of research, a lot of trail cams. um, But these animals are just kind of hard to find. They're small. They normally weigh about 25 pounds. So they're just a little bit more challenging and they're, you know, they're arboreal. They are uh, terrestrial, you know, they're going to be all over the place. So, um, yeah, so I would take the vulnerable with a grain of salt, but it is very good news instead of a critical rating, but they do have a lot of room for discussion and things like that. Yeah. To be concerned. Definitely. 
Yeah. Um, their main threats are going to be deforestation, which is the main threat of most of the animals in Madagascar. Um, they also run into retaliation killings if they get into people's hen houses or part of their cattle, anything like that. Um, they do have like trapping for them. They can be consumed as bush meat on occasion. And then their body parts have been used in medical practices locally. So those are just kind of similar issues that a lot of other animals face like rhinos and elephants and things like that. So they basically act as the kind of the moderator of the lemur species. So there are other predators in that area, but the fusa is going to be the main predator that's keeping those populations in check, which is extremely important to the health and wellness of the population as a whole, because you have these animals taking out weaker individuals that may not be passing on good genetics. So similar to in the U.S., how we kind of have eradicated wolves from a lot of areas, and then we have that run into with like chronic wasting and thing like that with deers, they are doing the same thing, but just with predominantly lemur species. They are opportunistic, though, so they do eat birds, lizards, whatever. Uh, they are not picky. <laughs> so um, they will help a lot of different populations, which is nice. Um, but yeah, they are very elusive, like I mentioned, very private. They do have a they do have a sleeping pattern that's very beneficial to showcasing them as ambassadors, but also interesting um, out in the wild. It's um, cathemeral, so it is just being awake sporadically throughout the day instead of being like nocturnal or uh, diurnal, while lemurs are diurnal. So that allows them to hunt them at night, which is rude, but <laughs> beneficial for them. <laughs> Um, so that also allows them to be great exhibit animals because they are up sporadically, unlike a lion that's sleeping about 22 hours a day. So <laughs> they're just a nice animal to showcase in that way, too. Yeah. And now, Brittany, I have to ask, talking about fooses in the wild, have you been to Madagascar? Oh, have you seen I wish. them in the wild? No, I wish so much. It's on my bucket list for sure. It's um, something I hope to do. In the next 10 years would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. And I just, just, well, I mean, as you mentioned too, all the lemurs and just the unique plant species there. Yeah. It's, it seems like a really, really special and, uh, and, 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 but place that is threatened by deforestation and stuff. So I feel like, yeah, we should go sooner and go help out. But, um, mm-hmm. but yes. Uh, well, okay. Well, maybe we need to start a go fund, go fund us or something. <laughs> Right. Get us to Madagascar. Oh, I'd love it. (laughs) I know, right? And so now that you gave us the nice background about FUSAs and why we should care, they sound incredible to work with. They sound very important in the wild. Can you talk a little bit about Species Survival Plans, or SSPs, which you lead within the Blank Park Zoo for the FUSA? Can you explain how the SSPs work within AZA accredited zoos, why they're important? Uh, and uh, yeah, just get, get that part of the conversation going. Yeah. Um, so in the past few years, the species survival plans have changed a lot. We used to do kind of a stoplight system where it was like red, you had, um, they were pretty critical. They didn't have a ton of genetic diversity. Yellow, you were kind of in between. And then green, you had good diversity in your captive populations. They have completely removed that now. And they have now listed it more as 
signature SSPs, provisional SSPs, and stud books. So um, how my title for Kinkachu has moved from Kinkachu SSP Education Advisor. Now we are Kinkachu Stud Book Education Advisor. And it's because they set up different parameters to allow, allow the SSPs to be evaluated on their sustainability within the captive population. So at first you had over 400 different SSPs and sometimes you only had nine individuals represented in that SSP just because of how breeding or these animals came in from different ways and now we're trying to make a system for them. But those particular entities are not successful and not sustainable. So the AZA was dedicating money and resources toward things that in a very sad term are kind of a sinking ship. So they wanted to make sure that they're allocating resources to species that are going to be represented that are desired in the population, but then also we can keep up those conservation efforts that we want in a more sustainable way. And we're not allocating money toward entities that may not be beneficial in the long run. So even though our goal is to, of course, conserve everything, preserve everything, it's just not sustainable and it's just not realistic. So, um, We evaluated all of the species survival plans on a few different entities. So they called it the reimagining process. And every SSP went through this imagining process and they were judged on their genetics, their demographics, their space and interest, and their husbandry. So genetics being that you know all your genetics in the population and that you have you know, those founders that are bringing new genetics, that you have a good, healthy genetic population. Maybe you just want to uh, make sure that this is, that people know that this is like within the zoo pop, like it's not, you know, okay. these are the the captive ones are, you know, the ones that are held yes. in North American zoos or just something like that. So um, the SSPs are only represented in North American um, zoological facilities, and they're represented within the Association of Zoos and Aquariums. So it's for entities that are accredited by that body. So not all zoos in the U.S. are accredited zoos. So not all of them would be necessarily taking part in these species survival plans. They may have species, like I mentioned with the FUSA, how we do have non-AZA individuals representing those species. I still have record of those species in my stud book. So I have record that they are here. They just may not be as participating and they can become sustainability partners, things like that. So they um, just at first with the SSPs, we were able to really utilize more non-ACA zoos. But at this point, they're trying to allocate those resources just primarily to ACA zoos. So if um, that's kind of the flow that they're transitioning to, because they realize there's a lot of unknown in the zoological community with these non-AZA facilities. Yeah. The inbreeding or just, they just don't know their genetics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So a great example is how um, kinkachus, a lot of them that are in the population will come to us from the pet trade. So we do not know their genetics. We don't know where they came from. Um, There are sanctuaries for them. We just cannot keep track of where these animals came from, uh, who they're related to. So they're kind of unfortunately lost in terms of breeding and keeping up those genetics. So um, even though we can 
acknowledge that those are part of the population, we can't actually use them to make our population stronger. So that is kind of one of the reasons why genetics is very important in this reimagining process. So luckily for us, we know all of our genetics. We know where everybody came from. FUSA are not a high um, pet trade animal because they will tear you up. So (laughs) they are definitely not on the docket for that. They're a fierce predator. And a lot of people, one, don't know what they are, but then two, um, do not want those in your house. (laughs) Right. um, Yeah. So uh, genetics for us is positive, which is awesome. Demographics for us. So it's kind of your birth to death ratio within your population. We had about five years of uh, no breeding and it was due to COVID. It was due to space things like that. Um, The pups need to be held at a facility for up to three years. So that can be a really tough thing for a facility to do. And a lot of facilities might not have the space. So that's where we're lacking in that breeding aspect. So that for us was negative just because we hadn't had that growth. Um, And then space and interest and husbandry for us were both neutral. So um, you basically get a plus, a minus, or a neutral. So we became a provisional SSP, which basically means we still could become a signature, but we're not um, to that stud book stage where we do not become an SSP anymore. So one of the reasons why I've been wanting to reach out to different facilities and different things like that is because I'd love to boost us up and keep representing FUSA in a more powerful way and getting those resources. But space and interest uh, for us is just how many zoos want to have your species, you know, how are they being represented, things like that. And then the husbandry aspect is, are they really difficult to care for in captivity? Do they have a high mortality rate for births or anything like that? Are, do they have a ton of health problems that people don't want them there because they cost a lot of money kind of thing? So um, it's kind of all of those factors are going to, to these decisions to reevaluate the SSPs. So, and that's a very new process. It's been within the last two years. So if it sounds unfamiliar, it is new. So (laughs) a different change for sure. Your brain needs support and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places, Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off, an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-Off launches April 9th. 
Yeah, well, I'm glad to hear that the FUSAs um, are continuing to be supported mm-hmm. by the SSPs. So that's definitely exciting news. And I also have to mm-hmm. give a quick plug to my husband, uh, Jonathan Mio. He, uh, Chris actually interviewed him on the podcast for episode 301 a while back, um, a year or two ago, where he talks about SSPs uh, in zoos and, uh, and, and why zoo accreditation matters. So if you want even more of a background on that aspect of SSPs, they literally talk about them the whole interview. Uh, so uh, it's a lot of fun for us zoo nerds out there. But <laughs> so if you fall into that category, check that out. But Brittany, I was also hoping you could kind of dissect a little bit today with the uh, with the FUSA and the SSP. How do those fit into the tags? So that's the Taxon Advisory Group. How do they tie into SSPs? And what is the mission of the FUSA SSP? And then what is the mission of the small carnivore tag, which you help represent? Yeah, so the taxon advisory groups, we just call them tags because it's a bit of a mouthful the other way. But their goal is to examine the sustainability and conservation needs of an entire taxa um, to develop recommendations for population management and conservation based upon um, needs of the species and accredited institutions. So that's AZA accredited institutions needs as well as the species. So um, the FUSA are part of the small carnivore tag, which I love because it is very diverse. It has a lot of different individuals in it. It's kind of a catch-all, which is awesome because you get a lot of different um, species. So we have red pandas in that tag. We have otters, giant otters, small clawed otters, and river otters. We have mongoose. We have dwarf mongoose. We have meerkats. We have uh, wolverines coming into that. We have fusa. We have kinkachus. So it's a lot of animals that kind of don't seem like they belong together, but they work harmoniously in this lovely group. So um, our tag is very active. It does have a Facebook group if people are interested. It is just the small carnivore tag on Facebook. Um, It is a way to get, it is just a group that you can like and you can get all the small carnivore tag news on there, including facilities having births or representing uh, different species. And then the goals of each SSP are a little different. They, um, the black-footed ferret is part of our tag as well, and they're kind of our best version of a local success story with the breeding and reintroduction of that species. So their goals are a little different than my goals, for example, because I'm not trying to release FUSA back into the U.S. So um, I don't work with fish and wildlife, but they do. <laughs> Can you but imagine if you ever FUSA's running around? <laughs> right. No. But when and if you ever get to release them back into Madagascar, you got to be you got to be part of that team. All right. I will go oh, yeah, you for so- that. Yes. Right. (laughs) Me and the European team will be there for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so we have different goals for Michael currently in our species is predominantly to increase representation and increase um, awareness of them to also then build that love and compassion so that when these things come up in Madagascar, you are more willing to be active as a supporter or 
if you can fundraise, things like that, uh, to help protect those environments so that these animals do not become completely endangered. They are on the cusp right now with a declining population. So my goal is just to raise awareness and bring representation to them so that more people can learn about them and care. Because as you know, as a zookeeper, people do not care about something if they've never seen it. So if you can engage people with their hearts in this animal, they will start to care outside of the zoo as well. So that's my current goal because we have a smaller population and we just want to increase the love and um, just pure joy that these animals give us as zookeepers. We want to pass that along to our guests as well. Well, you're doing an excellent job of that today, Brittany. And I also, I just want to give you a shout out for doing all of this for the FUSA, for the Kinkajou, for the small carnivore tag, because I was a zookeeper and I would run around five days a week from 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. like a chicken with my head cut off, busy, 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 <laughs> doing, doing all the things from cleaning, enriching presentations, behind the scenes tours, training and repeat and all this, let alone with the winter weather there in Chicago. Uh, and so I'm just wondering, number one, what inspired you to take on even more uh, for the FUSA and for their SSPs and the, with the King of Jew as well? And if you could just explain to our listeners, is this um, a volunteer position, a passion project? Uh, how much time does it require? And yeah, if you could just touch on that a little bit. Yeah, so every SSP is different with how much time it requires and um, kind of how much you have to put into it. So um, this is a volunteer project. It is definitely a highly passionate project. It's a way for me specifically to take an active role in the zoo field, which um, as a zookeeper, you're obviously doing, but you're not making a huge impact all the time outside of your own facility. So this has been something that I've always wanted to do is be involved in an SSP because I just really enjoy what they represent. So um, that has been a big goal for mine ever since I started. But um, yeah, so <laughs> the time that I'm putting into this is all outside of work. It's definitely a weekend thing. I call it my hobby right now because it takes <laughs> up an, uh, a time that probably a hobby would at this point. But um, yeah, it is going to conferences. It is uh, talking with a lot of facilities, getting their needs met, making transfers, um, putting out birthing and transfer plans potentially every year, depending on your species. But once my certain my certain timeline right now is kind of busy because I'm trying to reestablish something. While if I had taken over an SSP that was already like if I took over the Red Panda SSP. They are a signature SSP. They have a great representation. It would not be nearly as much work, but I'm also not putting in as much work as, say, um, the Wallaby SSP that one of my coworkers has, where she has just all sorts of crazy things, and she has like over 200 individuals, and it just sounds insane. So I'm I'm happy to have a smaller population currently to like build up because this is my first opportunity to actually have my own program, but um, it has been exciting and I am 
my biggest goal of this is to build a community around FUSA, which is also why um, I'm super happy that you are down with me promoting them because I want people to learn about them more and um, be in love with them like I am. But also we've built a community with a Facebook group. We're trying to build a community with kind of bonding those keepers together because um, as you probably know from being a zookeeper, it can be a very compassion fatigued environment. You are putting a lot of your heart into everything. And sometimes it's not going to be reciprocated in the way that you want, depending on how you receive praise, how you receive um, accomplishments. So my main goal was to it recognize the hard work that FUSA keepers are doing and that these institutions are doing and how much that we as the FUSA SSP, as well as the species as a whole, appreciate what they do. And I want them to feel like their work is being acknowledged. So we built a Facebook group for FUSA keepers where they can share things. They can come on and meet other people. If we transfer an animal, they can stay connected that way. We try to highlight different training accomplishments. We highlight different facilities for the awesome things that they do. So we are really trying to build a positive community for FUSA keepers as well as institutions to connect them because it can be really tough as a keeper in general, but especially as a keeper of an animal that nobody's heard of, to um, really build that recognition and that amazing talent that these keepers have to be able to do this awesome training, to be able to make these big impacts. And I'm a big person um, that wants to, I have to be acknowledged for things that I do. So I need somebody to tell me that I'm doing a good job. So I am offering that to other people because I know that that's a critical, important part for me. Um, And that's how I want to run my SSP is as a collaborative effort, even if I'm the one leading it. Oh, no, Brittany, I love that. You just struck a chord with me because I was a grevy zebra keeper and those guys are endangered and uh, and I know there's an SSP for them, and but there wasn't, this was so many, mm-hmm. so many, many years ago, that there wasn't Facebook or these connections. And I'll never forget when I got one of the female zebras uh, to, we had had her for about a year and she was just very wild and very shy. After one year of me working with her through protected contact and uh, using operant conditioning, positive reinforcement training, one year of working with her, granted uh, five minutes a day, a couple times a week, but still one Mm -hmm. year for that mare to come and take a treat out of my hand. And oh, biggest deal in the world. I wanted <laughs> I wanted a Grammy or an Oscar. I don't know what the right award would have been um, for. But at yeah, any like rate, you just want to cry of and, excitement. And I was alone in the barn. And honestly, like nobody else cared. You know, and I was just like, no, this is like, and, and of, co- <laughs> of course, other Grevy's keepers or the keepers in the barn that knew her. Uh, my husband, who we were, I don't even think we were dating at the time. He cared. A few select handful of people cared. Mm-hmm. But. In the big picture, not really, because unless you work with these creatures day in and day out, and especially their personalities, right? They all have personalities. You don't know what a, I mean, what a big deal that was. Because also once the mayor started taking treats from me, shortly thereafter, uh, she I could target train her and then so on and so forth. And, mm-hmm. then, and then really up her training and her husbandry and her enrichment you and all that. You broke that barrier. Now yes. you can start really... Yes. Making progress, yeah. But anyways, I had to have like a silent, like a, a self-applause. So I didn't want to spook her either. So I was just inside. I was like, this is the best thing that ever happened to me. Uh, but yes, it would have been great to like showcase that either in a Facebook group or just uh, have more of the support uh, system, as you mentioned, because uh, 
zookeeper fatigue is a real thing. I definitely suffered it uh, my last year or so zookeeping. Uh, so yeah, and that's, uh, you know, that's actually a great, that gives me an idea for a great podcast in the future uh, or a round table or something to talk <laughs> about. Uh, and it's not just in zookeeping um, in animal care in general, uh, the fatigue, the fatigue is, uh, is real. So thank you for mentioning that. And we're, we're definitely going to make sure at the end of the podcast too, that we announce all the different links and ways that you can connect to some of these different Facebook and social media and groups and websites that we are talking about. And of course we'll put them on our show notes as well. But with all that being said, and uh, being an SSP program leader, uh, at having that a passion project or something they're not quote unquote paid for, uh, aside to your normal zookeeping roles, would you recommend this to other keepers uh, getting involved with SSPs or tags? And if so, which of course I have a sneaking suspicion you will, uh, but if you do recommend it, what's the best way to do it? And is there like, is there training for people that maybe aren't as either tech savvy or maybe for people that don't want to email others that they don't know is how do you get trained to do all this? Yeah. So, um, you do need institutional support from whatever AZA facility that you are at before you can take on any of these roles. So, um, it, can be difficult because a lot of um, upper management does these kind of specialized jobs a little bit more. So as a keeper. Yeah, um, because they're sitting behind a desk all day. They've got time. I'm just kidding. Just right? Kidding. <laughs> <laughs> edit that out. No, don't edit they out. I, uh, but yes, yes. <laughs> well, they have a different role. They're not on their yeah, feet. Maybe so, um, not as active in the, the daily. Not on their degree. feet. Yeah, mm-hmm. on their feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they can work on these things more during the day. So definitely it is a big time commitment. So if you are a keeper that's interested in your institution does support that, um, it will be a lot of stuff that you do at home. And if you're cool at that, then that's awesome. But if you're not just being aware that that's a potential of um, taking this over, I recommend that people in our field do get involved because the field is now transitioning a lot more into people that are younger. Um, I'm 30. So I've been in the field for seven years, but like the people that have these SSPs have had them since they were 30 and now they are, you know, in their fifties, their forties, you know, their sixties. So there is going to be a transitional period eventually once those people leave the field. So, I think that it's important to get involved in that currently because it's going to build a stronger community once those people end up uh, leaving the field at some point, and it's going to build up more information. There is a big transition with zookeepers that certain skills get lost in the mix. So I think that this would be one that would be a great one for younger individuals to at least get involved in or take part in. There is a course that you go to for learning how to do your stud book. It's called Population Management One. So um, that is something that's an AZA course that is offered. Um, It used to be twice a year. Now it is once a year. So I'm not 100% sure if that'll change or not. But um, it is a course that runs you through how to run your stud book, how to do your population management, how to do your transfer and breeding plan. So it is a course that is pretty critical to your role. The other thing is that it has to be an AZA zoo that you work at to be able to have a program. So um, that's one of the contingencies on it for people. Sorry if you can hear the clicking. Hey, We love all animals here. All creatures podcast. Yes. (laughs) 
Uh -huh, it's a good, it sounds like a <laughs> yeah, fun sorry, companion. Yes, I can hear nail clicking. <laughs> yes, they're um, wrestling right next to me, of course. So <laughs> um, they have to be in the room at the same time. But um, something that a lot of SSPs need help with currently, including tags, is that almost all of the animal care manuals are being updated and reviewed. And um, some of them are even separating out. So, for example, the FUSA one was mixed with meerkat and mongoose. And now we are separating out and each individual is making their own. So that is something that if you are interested in a certain species, you can always reach out to their um, institutional representative or you can reach out to the SSP coordinators and just ask them if they need help with reviewing because there is so much of a process that goes into just reading it and telling me if it makes sense. Like for example, we developed the animal ambassador guidelines for kinkachus and that was a new document. We were just like, okay, here's the guidelines. We have no idea what we're going into. We had so many people read it people that have never worked with kinkachus, people that are experts in kinkachus, because we want to make sure that it lays it out to the point where you could come off the street, read this, and then understand what types of training to do. Obviously, there is skill required in these trainings, but we want it to be in such a simple language that nobody has questions. And that is, uh, we are redoing the FUSA Animal Care Manual, or AMC or ACM, depending on how you want to say it. Uh, but we are redoing that one and I want to make the language super simple. So I'm asking some of my coworkers, I'm like, hey, you've never worked with FUSA, right? Cool. Would you mind looking at this for me? Because if you have no idea what I'm trying to say, that helps. <laughs> because sometimes that exactly. implied knowledge mm -hmm. is... Um, hard. So that's something that I would recommend as well as there's a lot of tags that just need help with social media and things like that. And um, of course, with just reviewing an animal care manual, you may not need institutional support for that. But if you're getting more involved in like being social media or helping with other things like that, that might be something that you need institutional support for. But those are good options to be able to um, get involved in kind of an abstract way. There are also um, education advisor positions. That's how I got involved. Um, but there are other little positions that you can do that may lead you to where you want to be, but at least you could get involved to the point that people recognize you, people reach out to you for help so that you can start building those network connections. Because zookeeping, as much as the hard work is a huge part of it, networking is a major part of being able to move up in certain situations. So um, for example, how I was able to connect into the FUSA SSP is because the original coordinator worked on the animal investor guidelines with me and she was amazing. And I reached out to her when she was leaving the field and it worked out and I applied and it worked out. But um, if I may not have built that connection, we might not be here. So it's all about reaching out. Reaching out of your comfort zone is a huge thing too. I did a lot of guest engagement in my first job, which was just going up to strangers and being like, hey, how's your day at the zoo? Can, can I help you with something? And that makes a huge difference in being able to build those connections and getting that solid personality and being easy to approach as well as like being engaging in that way. It's a long-winded answer for you. <laughs> I love everything you said and, it, and you touched on so many things that are true. And uh, as my husband's program uh, at Santa Fe College Teaching Zoo, 
as they're uh, working with students that are becoming uh, zookeepers and getting their degree in zoo husbandry, uh, I mean, the students are really learning that it's not just the husbandry. In order to be a successful zookeeper, you do uh, you, you don't just work with animals. A lot of a lot of people get into the mm-hmm. field thinking like I don't like people, I just like animals, and I get it. But it, it it the career has evolved so much in the past twenty years that really the education part, the ambassador part. Uh, whether you're actually in Mm -hmm. zoo education or not, even if you're just a keeper behind the scenes is still really, really, really important. And it's my understanding that a lot of the SSP and TAG networks and interaction and the training that they provide, as you mentioned, either whether it's once a year, twice a year, uh, really helps develop those skill sets. Because most people, even if they're an extrovert Mm -hmm. like me, I, I mean, I didn't have any necessarily like public speaking skills at all. And so I had to learn them as Mm -hmm. I've moved forward in my career as a zookeeper and then now as a professor and get more comfortable being uncomfortable. And I think that uh, being doing these extra things, these passion projects are are really maybe an initially like a harder step to take for some people out of their comfort zone, but it can be really rewarding as is definitely um as you're you've shown us today and so it's just i'm just so glad that you're getting involved and having such a positive experience with the ssps and the tags and so Brittany, i'm hoping that as your fusa population grows your stud book grows uh more aza accredited institutions are going to need to house fusas right as the population grows so mm-hmm. I wondered if you could help advocate for why zoos and zookeepers that are listening, why should they want to participate more in the FUSA SSPs or get them at their institution? Yeah. So my main thing that I like to build into any type of FUSA exhibit is how we can frame the ecosystem in which FUSAs live and why this ecosystem is important. It is a very diverse area. It is a wealth of evolution and just amazing landscape that I wish I could tell you that I've seen in person, but I cannot wait for that day one time. But um, I think that So this is kind of a little bit beyond FUSA, but building that Madagascar connection, I think is extremely important. A lot of zoos will have lemurs and people just think that lemurs live there. So that is a really tough disconnect where they don't think that other species live there and they just go, oh, I saw the Madagascar movie. It's lemurs, you know? So um, the country of Madagascar as a whole is one of the poorest countries in the world. Um, Most of the individuals there, about 75%, only live on about $1.90 of U.S. money a day, which is absurd to think about with us in our privileged society. So it's definitely when you see a place and all you think of is lemurs, you're missing out on all of the shareholders, you're missing out on the struggles, you're missing out on those environmental impacts that affect all of us. Um, It was, this country, it has uh, 25.6 million people, which is insane to think about as like the third biggest island in the world, um, which three fourths of the population are below the poverty line. So what I've noticed when talking to people about lemurs or talking to people about FUSA is that 
there is a lot of that direct, like, how could they be hunting this animal? Deforestation is awful. How are they doing this to this species? And I think that empathetic disconnect can really be built with a FUSA and lemur exhibit and educational graphics that do uh, display the environment and how the shareholders of that environment interact with those species. It is a huge thing. I focused on it heavily in my master's because it was just something that I've noticed, especially in the U.S. with how we talk about wolves. That is another way that we're like, oh, those ranchers, how dare they, you know, but it's like, okay, from the rancher point of view, you're losing money. This is your livelihood. Same thing in Madagascar. So you have these people that are having to go out in the forest and trap animals to be able to eat, or you can sell a lemur for $10,000 into the pet trade and be able to feed your family. There is a huge disconnect with how we view these species and the environments that they live in versus us here and how we view those species when they're in a captive situation. I think uh, my personal view is just that with these two animals next to each other, you branch out people's minds about the island in general and how the ecosystems work, as well as you are creating a support system for both lemurs and FUSA by educating people on the foundations that will support lemur conservation, will support the Madagascar people, um, because the way that we save these species is by helping the people there not be so desperate to have to unfortunately take up farmland from these disforested areas. It is a huge cycle. It's not just about lemur conservation. It's not just about FUSA conservation. It's not just about a specific bird that lives there it, it or the Tenerix. It is that the people don't have options in which they are then impacting the ecosystem. Similar to us, we do the same thing in the U.S., but we just don't see the impacts as aggressively in a zoo because... We don't represent native species as much, and our native species aren't in that same kind of desolate strait. So in terms of FUSA, they're an amazing species. They are very interactive with enrichment. They're a great charismatic animal. Anyone that has seen one loves them, but more than that, they have a deep-rooted responsibility to help you understand how other ecosystems live and build that empathy for both um, animal and person. So I think that that's a lesson that a lot of zoos can deliver to their guests and that it is a responsibility that zoos should be delivering to their guests. And I think that those exhibits next to each other can create that in a way that allows people to not only appreciate the amazing evolution that this island offers and the crazy adaptations that these animals have, but also respecting the fact that they coincide with people and that they live with people and that people create this ecosystem. It is not just an island full of lemurs. It is an island full of a lot of different moving parts and that we as guests to a zoo and we as people in a first world country should be privy to that and should contribute to helping other people and helping those animals in this unique ecosystem. So long-winded answer to your question, but it's a passion of mine to also highlight that. Um, but yeah, I think that it allows people to see the island in something more than just a lemurtopia. <laughs> <laughs> Brittany, I am sold. My husband gets home in about T minus four hours and they have red rough lemur 
Zimmer at the zoo. They do not have Fusa, so he is going to hear an earful on why I think that's the next small carnivore he should get. Uh, so I, yes, yes, I am sold. You, you are an amazing, amazing advocator for the Fusas, and I, just, I appreciate your passion and your energy and all the work that you are doing for them here in the United States that are housed under human care. But then, of course, all of that helps conserve them in the wild as well. And so. I was hoping as we're closing up here, if you could let our listeners know how they could learn more about Blank Park Zoo, where you currently work, and the different educational and conservation work that they are doing. Yeah, so I would be remiss if I didn't mention that um, the FUSA SSP is actually a global effort. I do work with uh, European representatives as well. So um, they have been amazing. The EEP um, works very hard to help we transfer animals back and forth so it is a global effort to save the species so it's definitely not all on me and i would i would hate to take credit for more than that because i would be nowhere without um my guide over <laughs> in europe helping me with some of these well transfers. that's even more points so. of why to get if you're a zookeeper or you work at a zoo to get involved some of these international collaborations and connections i mean that's just what mm-hmm. how cool is that right it's been awesome. We have Zoom meetings at like six in the morning, my time, like one his time. It's amazing. And you can really feed off each other's successes. They have a great population over there and um, their representative is amazing. So I would be remiss if I didn't mention that for sure. Blank Park Zoo has a website that is blankparkzoo.com. There's a lot of tabs that you can open where it's conservation if you want to get involved if you're in the Des Moines area as well as just highlights of our species. Um, We are currently working on capital campaigns that I will mention in case anyone's feeling very generous. (laughs) So um, we are working on adding new filtration to our sea lion pool as well as building some new exhibits for Iowa native animals to help build that connection with our local ecosystems. So it's about a $17 million project. So they do have about third of it raised up, but um, it would be creating new spaces for animals that already live at the zoo that have outdated exhibits, as well as creating a better water quality for our seals and sea lions. Um, A lot of seals and sea lion facilities that are a little bit older, never actually thought that salt water was necessary for them. And it isn't necessary for them to live, but it is more beneficial. So that's uh, something that we're hoping to add. And then adding better spaces for our river otters, bald eagles and having a mystery other species that i'm not no i don't know if i'm allowed to say but it'll oh, be oh no don't tell us keep yeah keep really keep the about. suspense i love that yeah, yeah keep it on the toes mm-hmm. <laughs> so um that's kind of the projects that we're working on now uh with blank park zoo which is awesome because those are all my area for the most part so we love that and then just the overall fill of the zoo it is a smaller zoo but it is very engaging in the summer. So if you're ever in the area, I highly recommend that you come and visit. We do sea lion training demonstrations twice a day. Those are super engaging and fun. A lot of keeper talks. Uh, A lot of the keepers are out and about, so you can really get a lot of good information from people. Um, So highly recommend those for Blank Park Zoo. And they do have a lot of camps. They do have a lot of educational opportunities as well. So um, those are all found on the website, uh, blankparkzoo.com. So definitely got to shout those out as well. Awesome. Well, 
I'm giving a big shout out to Blank Park Zoo. I have not been there. Uh, so it, it is on my bucket list to get there because it's not too far from uh, Lincoln Park Zoo. And when I go visit Michigan and Detroit Zoo and my mid, my Midwest tour. So I'll have to come look you up so we can keep this conversation going and I can yeah, uh, let me know. Che- check in on everything there. Uh, but as a seasoned zookeeper and learning more about SSPs and being an SSP program leader, I was hoping you could give some advice to someone that wants to get into the zookeeping field and or just zoo conservation in general. Yeah, for me, it was kind of just starting with internships. So the aza.org, so just aza.org, they have a job board that a lot of people can find super helpful to be able to find internships and jobs. They also have a section on So you want to become a zookeeper. So they will lay out kind of the steps that you can take. Uh, My personal journey was doing um, internships at three different facilities and then receiving my full-time job. A big pro is if you are willing to move for your internships. Um, It is hard to just stay in one spot. A lot of zoos will prefer if you gain perspective and experience at other places. Um, I know for me, it was a... They are kind of getting a little better, so I can't speak for all internship programs, but a lot of them are unpaid. So they are something that you may have to work in addition to or go somewhere where you have family that you can be housed. Some internships do offer housing and stipends, but it's definitely something that should be changed in the field because nobody should be putting in that much hard work for free. But um, being nonprofits, they don't make a ton of extra money. So I can totally get where they're coming from. But that is a huge factor of zookeeping is that if you have a good support system financially, it's a lot easier to go and do those internships and things like that. For younger individuals, volunteering is a really good way to get your foot in the door, to get recognized, to get noticed, and then potentially ending up in those internships later. Um, It is definitely a field where you need to have experience to get a job, but you got to get a job with the, it's kind of the catch 22 of like, no one will hire you until you have experience, but then how are you supposed to get experience and no one will hire you. So there has been a big flux after COVID where there have been a lot more zoo positions open. So that is actually really helpful to younger people getting into the field because as you know, Angie, it is very competitive. So it is a tough field to get into. So we're um, kind of realizing now that we're getting that flux of the other direction where they're needing more people, which is um, really good for people getting into the field. Um, But it is still a very challenging field to get into. Yeah, it it definitely is. My husband and I always talk about it. If we were, because I only had a, a zoology degree and the only reason Lincoln Park Zoo hired me is because they had naughty ponies at their farm in the zoo and I had horse experience and a zoology degree. And I, I guess I had done a, I had done like a behavioral internship with Golden Lion Tamarin. So, I, but it was not zookeeping at all, but uh, yeah, they, they needed somebody to, they thought my uh, horse experience would help them with uh, chips and salsa was their names, which is kind of silly. We changed it later. Oh, yeah, I, I know we changed it. I, I thought it was cute. I think they changed it later on, but anyways, uh, so, but yeah, so that's how I got my foot in the door. But I did, like, I wouldn't, I, I, if I tried right now with the degree that I had and the, the minimal experience that I had, I probably, it, it would take me a long time to get my foot in the door without either these internships or connections and stuff like that. And that's why, of course, I have to plug my husband's Santa Fe College Teaching Zoo, his program here in Gainesville, Florida, because they do have a pretty high, uh, 
placement rate of their zookeepers that graduate from the program mm -hmm. because they do a lot of networking with other zoos and they just have a good name for themselves of like, oh, the, you know, the people that come out of this program mm -hmm. have basically been zookeepers for two years while they were going to school. So, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it is, it is definitely a, a, a field for, uh, people for not not for the faint-hearted people that want to work hard and love animals and are passionate and lifelong learners and you'll never get rich doing no, it no 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 <laughs> you will not it's definitely one that you will um feel a sense of pride in your job you will get a lot of passion out of it people will tell you how jealous they are that you have your job so you kind of end up being like an accidental celebrity with it because you have a cool job but you will never get rich being a zookeeper. no not yeah well not <laughs> physically rich yeah I was saying, not run. physically rich but spiritually yes. rich but i i i do agree i remember when i uh, oh, like if yes. i was flying on an airplane people asked me what i do and I, I'd always be like, how oh, do I have the energy to tell them I'm a zookeeper right now and answer a million questions? And usually the answer was always like, yes, like yeah, because you will not no, get left alone. No, but it's yeah. it was usually most of the time yes because I'm like I do want to like celebrate this and talk about this and help educate people and stuff like that. So and you're very proud of what you do because you do dedicate so much into so it. So much. It is it is a huge pride project for most people. Yes, definitely. Well. You you do them justice, and you and uh, you're very honorable and inspirational, Brittany. I just I I'm just super impressed with everything that you're doing, uh, not only as a keeper at Blank Park Zoo, but also for the Fusas, for the Kinkajous, and just for being on here today, being willing to share your story to help inspire and educate people because it, it takes a lot of time and a lot of energy and you do it very well and you're very passionate and it's, I, I, it's contagious for me and I hope it is, or I'm assuming it is for our listeners as well. So thank you so much for being here and chatting with me all about FUSAs, SSPs, tags, life as a zookeeper. And lastly, Brittany, I was hoping uh, that you could give people listening to this podcast uh, information on how to support FUSA conservation, support the small carnivore tag. Uh, how can they learn more? What social media websites should people follow if they want to basically be more involved with what you're doing and or learn more about FUSAs? Yeah. The tough thing is there aren't direct FUSA conservation efforts. So I always try to lead people to ones that <laughs> mainly address lemurs, because if you're addressing lemurs, you're addressing where they live. FUSAs live there. You know, by the transitive property, you're it's, also. Yeah, it's like an, um, with, it's like an uh, umbrella. FUSAs. Yeah, so, it covers a lot. <laughs> exactly. So um, I always recommend definitely there are um, Lemur Conservation Network, Lemur Conservation Fund, the Duke Lemur Center are a few. The Duke Lemur Center is amazing and um, it's attached to Duke University. Definitely a big one to go check out in the U.S. There are also um, some that help out the people of Madagascar. So uh, Madagascar Foundation is one that actually is more focused on the people there, which if you're helping the people, you're also helping the environment. You're helping FUSA as well. Um, and then uh, I might butcher the name, but we're going to try it. But it's the Zaza Malala <laughs> Foundation. So that's Z-A-Z-A-M-A-L-A-L-A. -A -A -A. 
Foundation Madagascar. And that one is more of a protection of forests and uh, helping to fight deforestation as a foundation, which is extremely important because these animals live in those forests. There's only about 3% of the West uh, Madagascar forest remaining. And that is a critical point that... um, a lot of animals are going to be affected by that. So that is another one that you can reach out to donate. Um, there are also ecotouristic or ecotourism opportunities in Madagascar that you can go on if you're wanting to explore that area. I would just always say to stay clear of stores that have lemurs as a way to draw you in because that's not necessarily the message that we all want to receive, but it is, you know, for their business, it probably works, but if you're going there for ecotourism, you definitely want to be responsible in how you're interacting with the wildlife there and interacting with the people. The ecotourism is great for that area. Um, like we mentioned, it is a poorer country, so highly recommend going there, going there with a company that you know and do some research on, making sure that they are donating that money to the people. Yes, I love that. And you also mentioned, too, that the, on Facebook, there is the small carnivore tag group. Is that open publicly or just for uh, mm-hmm. you guys? Yeah, so small carnivore tag is open as a public Facebook group. So you can just like it and get information. Um, they are building a website as well. Uh, it would be linked on there once they're finished with it. They do have merchandise that they're working on, too, that's really cute. So if you want to support the small carnivore tag, highly recommend. We do have a FUSA Facebook group, but it's a little bit more selective for FUSA keepers and just so that they can have a uh, safe space to share information. So if you are a FUSA keeper, um, we have posted it a few other places places on Facebook uh, for others, zookeeper Facebook groups. So if you are a zookeeper and want to get interested in that, we have a bit of a private page for that, uh, just so that people can ask questions and feel safe about, um, you know, involving themselves in a kind of public way. And then my information is on the AZA if you look up my program. So if you are um, an AZA user, you can always find my email on there. I work a lot with all of the other facilities that have FUSA. We do breeding stuff. Um, we, I have a co-chair that does a lot of work as well. And we do a lot for um, our people that involve themselves with FUSA. So if you guys are in that same realm and you want to get involved, we love to hear stories from you. So oh, awesome, Brittany. That is wonderful. Thank you so much. I have to give Brittany a huge shout out today. I also want to give other FUSA zookeepers a shout out. And of course, just zookeepers in general and zoos, AZA accredited zoos for the conservation work that they are doing. And, and, uh, and it's, it's really important. Uh, it's, it's a labor of love as, uh, Brittany mentioned. And so it's been a really fun time talking with you and sharing more of just some of the side things that a lot of keepers, uh, and zoo employees are doing to help the animals that they care for and, uh, and help animal conservation. So because of you, Brittany, I have re-fallen in love with Madagascar today and FUSAs and of course lemurs. So, uh, I'm sure it was very contagious to everybody else listening. So thank you for being here. And I hope that we can stay in touch and keep this conversation growing as you continue to grow the FUSA SSP. And of course, a small carnivore tag, we would love to help you promote that, get more people excited about all the good work that uh, you are doing in other AZA accredited zookeepers are doing as well. So thank you so much for being here and I appreciate your time. 
Yes, thank you so much for having us. And I say us kind of broadly because the FUSA SSP is definitely collaborative. So I really appreciate the exposure and letting me uh, talk your ear off for a little bit. Oh, this is my passion project. I love it. I love it. It's uh, it's always fun to learn and, uh, and swap stories and do it for all the creatures uh, that we, we love and take care of in, in the wild. So Thank you, Brittany Beeler. Everyone check her out. Learn more about FUSAs. Uh, see where they are at your local AZA accredited zoo. And hopefully you're lucky enough to see one. If you are, share photos with us, share stories. Uh, and let's keep the conversation going about all things FUSA. So thank you, Brittany. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.